Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday night edition of the Boneyard. Man, it's been a busy day. I even thought about punting to tomorrow, but I thought, you know what? I don't want to put off to tomorrow what I need to do today. Plus, uh, you guys didn't get a chance to listen during the day, so maybe you can listen to on Tuesday. So, um, so here we are. And so college football is here, man. It's like, uh, you know, we got teams already starting practice, and so there's a lot of media opportunities. A lot of people reached out. I think I've done five shows today. So now that I've done everybody else's show, I'm going to do my own. And so, uh, and let's, speaking of shows, let's give a tip of the cap to our buddy Brian Haydad, uh, debuting his statewide radio show uh, over at Super Talk Mississippi. And uh, I can tell you guys, too, let me spend a little minute to talk about this. So, uh, Brian and I, there was a time Brian and I really weren't friends. And I never met the guy. You know, he, he, was, one, you know, he was an internet, uh, you know, malcontent. And uh, anyway, so... When I went to work for Bulldog Sports Radio, you know, I say work, I, you know, I started having a show on Bulldog Sports Radio, and Brian did too, and then Brian eventually went to work for BSR, and uh, it kind of became this healing moment, you know, it's like, well, if I'm going to work with this guy, we need to have a discussion, and we did, and uh, he was very gracious, man, and just, you know, said, hey, you know, there's some things maybe I did in my 20s or said uh, in the infancy of the internet that I wouldn't say today, I'm a grown man with a family, you know, it was, it was great. And now Brian's one of my best friends. You know, it's kind of crazy how life works. But um, really happy for this guy, man. And, um, you know, when V Sporto went under, um, yeah, that was tough, man, because like that was Brian's full-time gig. You know, I'm just doing it as a side hustle. And, you know, and, and, but it was Brian's primary gig. And, man, it was, it was awful. You know, I was really worried for him and uh, you know, worried for his family and, and – uh, Wish that I could have worked that away, you know, but let him come work for me or whatever, you know. But uh, we just couldn't get it together. But the reality of it was is I was at his house when Will East called him about the guy, the job with Super Talk. And uh, I remember how excited he was because he wanted to continue to have a job in media, wanted to continue to cover Mississippi State, uh, which is the dream of many of us, right? And... I remember how special that day was, and I was really glad that I could be there with Brian. And uh, it was emotional, man. It really was. And, you know, at the time, you know, we, we didn't know how long it would last, and, and Brian's done a great job and, uh, and apparently has earned some trust and some respect over there. So really happy for him. So uh, I'm sure they podcast that thing up too. Not exactly sure, but uh, if you were in the state of Mississippi, you have access to that show, I encourage you to, to support our brother Brian. So, so there you go. Um, but yeah, it's been a busy day. And I suspect it's going to be that way for the foreseeable future. Everybody's getting ready to preview these shows. Uh, we're going to have another SEC football preview on today's show. Uh, we're going to take a look inside some running stuff, too. There's a lot of discussion about that, about the Bulldog running game. I, I get asked that question a lot. Uh, so we're going to, I've done a little bit of uh, research. We're going to talk a little bit about some findings there. And then we're going to look at, um, you know, some more recruiting stuff, too. So, uh, good top ten list today, too. And I get a lot of feedback about the top ten list. And I would say 99% of it is very positive. I have some people that say, Steve, I'm not a music guy, so I fast forward. My feelings are not hurt, okay? It's fine. You don't have to apologize. Not everything is for everybody, right? Um, but a lot of people that reach out and say, hey, Steve, do this and do that. And sometimes I've already done it, so I just send them, send them that show. But, uh you know, it's uh, it's interesting how the numbers work. 
You know, like we'll put a one list out. We think, oh, this is going to kill. And then it doesn't. And then there'll be other things. Like we did the bullet from my Valentine list, and it's a top 10. Most of you have probably never heard a bullet from my Valentine until I did a list. And we've done, we're approaching 400 of these lists. And that band is in a top 10. I love Bullet, but I didn't think it'd be a top 10. And then we had a huge response to the Queen albums list. I figured that would be the case because everybody loves Freddie Mercury. Everybody loves Queen. Everybody loves Brian May and Deaky and those guys. Roger, it's great. Today, I think will be a pretty good one. I don't think it'll be a great one. I don't think it's going to push for the top 10, but I think it's going to be a list you really enjoy. So let's get right to it. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I, I do. And I don't just say that because we've been business partners for so long. I loved it the very first time I went in there. I was like, you know what? I can get a great restaurant quality hamburger right here. Because listen, there are a lot of times too when I'm on the road, I don't always eat especially healthy, right? Sometimes when you're on the grind, you got to kind of you know cut quality for convenience. That's just not the case at Bulldog Burger Company. When you go in there and you put your feet under the table, you know you're going to get a high-quality meal. You know you're going to get great service, and you're going to get it all at a great price. And there are a lot of other businesses out there, too, in the restaurant business who are, like, tacking on these extra fees. No, not Bulldog Burger Company. Not going to do it, man. Not going to do it. And so I believe in supporting them. I think you should, too. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and the newest one, Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure to go by and check them out. Uh, if you're in Starkville, you can go out there and sit under that new renovated patio. How cool is that? Right? Have the chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. There are very few places you can get a dessert to go, and that's one of the reasons you don't get it. You know, right? You want to treat yourself a little bit. It's nice to kind of get the, the chocolate shake to go. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer, and then pick out one of these wonderful restaurant-quality hamburgers for your entree. You'll be glad you did. And if you're a little bit health conscious, you can get it on a wheat bun. You can get it on bed of lettuce. It's fabulous. I've had it all three ways. You'd be glad you did. Choose them. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk about the Bulldog running game. And uh, there are a lot of questions about this and a lot of concern about this. Now, the first thing that I'm going to tell you, and this is, this is a reality you need to kind of come to grips with, we are never going to have a, quote, balanced offense under Mike Leach. It's not going to happen. We didn't hire the guy that engineered the air raid to run a balanced pro-style offense. At Mississippi State, we got to be a little bit different. That's just the reality of the neighborhood in which we live. If we can't go run the Alabama offense with Vanderbilt talent and expect to get LSU-type results, we got to be different. I think you always got to have an offensive-minded coach at Mississippi State. You know, we've had years past, we've had some defensive-minded coaches we struggled on offense. We'd win some games every now and again, but it wasn't sustainable. We've got to be offensive-minded, in my opinion. There are others who disagree, and that's okay. My feelings are not hurt if we don't agree on every single thing. But I think we have got to be a little bit gimmicky at times on offense as a program. And that is in no way throwing shade at Mike Leach and his scheme in any way. But we've got to be a little bit different. And I think we're different on the defensive side of the football, too, but that's a story for another day. And I read these comments in the Facebook groups, and they're like, oh, we got to run the ball more, we got to run the ball. And, and so I agree to a point, to a point. Now, let's not forget the fact, over the course of the last two seasons, our two primary running backs have been underclassmen, right? People forget Colin Hill opted out after the Kentucky game. 
And so as a result, we had to start two true freshmen, Dylan Johnson and Woody Marks. Now, we're better for it today, but we took some lumps in 2020. Our best receiver in 2020, Jaden Wally, freshman. Our quarterback, Will Rogers, freshman. Now, now those guys are juniors. they got two years of SEC experience under their belt. But if you look at last year's numbers, when we were really successful in the red zone, it's when we successfully ran the football. Now, running the football, of course, is a team activity, right? It's not just an individual effort, right? You, you've got to block. Everybody else has got to carry out their responsibilities on play. It's not just as simple as, okay, let's just toss it out there and let a guy go make a play. Now, one of the things I want to caution you about, too, before we get in these numbers, we have uh, some toss plays that we run and some shovel passes that, that are essentially running plays. But because of the fact that the, that the pitch goes forward, it goes into the passing numbers. So the numbers, the running numbers, are not ever going to be tremendous at Mississippi State as long as uh, we're running the air raid. But they're not quite as bad as the box score would suggest. I think it's important to understand. Like I, You read people and like, oh, I like that little wrinkle we did and we did that. Well, it's a pass. And I understand it's not an overhand pass, but it still counts as a pass. And so let, let's kind of get into some numbers here because I, I think it's important to kind of look where we are, maybe how we can improve. Not that Mike Leach needs any of our approval to do anything, right? That's just kind of the reality of life. It's Mike Leach's offense. He needs to run it the best way that he knows how. He doesn't need to conduct a Twitter poll of our fans to decide what should happen. It just shouldn't work that way. I don't think there's any question. Now, there's some, trust me, there'd be, there would be plenty of voters if he did. <laughs> Pretty crazy. All right, so let's take a look. You know, last year's uh, running numbers, you know, we were never a, uh, a great running team, but we still got good production out of the running backs. Make sense? Because that's how it's going to be, kind of moving forward. And so team statistics last year, Mississippi State had just 10 rushing touchdowns. 10. That's pretty crazy to think about, right? We played 13 games. We only had 10 running touchdowns. And I think one of our inability at times to run the ball effectively in the red zone certainly impact that. We had two against Louisiana Tech in that big comeback. We didn't have a rushing touchdown against NC State, even and though that we still dominated the game. We had a rushing touchdown against Memphis. We didn't have a rushing touchdown against LSU. We didn't have a rushing touchdown against Texas A&M. We didn't have any touchdowns against Alabama. We had a rushing touchdown against Vanderbilt. And then we have three against Kentucky. That particular night was one of our most successful nights as a rushing offense. We only ran for over 100 yards twice on the season as a team. Against Kentucky, we ran 94 times, 94 yards on 35 carries. So a very, very big commitment to the running game, the 35 carries, a season high for the Mississippi State offense. So in that situation, it wasn't like we just abandoned the run. We ran it, and we just weren't especially successful. And that's kind of what that, that odd front that Stoops and those guys employees to stop the run first. And uh, I know we kind of imploded up there two years ago. But last year, we were able to kind of go through them like a hot knife do butter. Against the University of Arkansas, we had a nice 69 yards rushing, no touchdowns. That crazy game against Auburn, no rushing touchdowns. 
Tennessee State, we had a couple. Ran for 107 yards. The Golden Egg, one rushing touchdown, and then nothing against Texas Tech. And so 10 rushing touchdowns, and then you look at it, you know, 50% of those came in two games. 70% of them came in three games. So there were more games on the season than not that we didn't have a rushing touchdown. You start doing the math here. You know, again, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So seven of 13 games, we didn't have a rushing touchdown. That number's got to improve. You say, well, Steve, I don't care how the ball gets in the end zone. I don't either. But when you get down close, you got to be able to block people and blow somebody off the line of scrimmage and move the line of scrimmage and put a ball in the end zone, right? So we got to be more effective running the football in the red zone. Now, what's interesting, our best rushing performance as a team on the year came against LSU. 26 carries for 115 yards, no rushing touchdowns. We had a long of 14 but if you remember in that game, there was all this talk about how Ed Orgeron and those guys were going to have a special defense to slow down the air raid. So as a result, we committed ourselves to running the football earlier, and we really, really, really gave them a tough time early on in that ball game. Really felt that was a game looking back in hindsight. You know, a couple plays here and there, we should win the game. We lose by three. But there was some time in that game that we uh, – we controlled the tempo. We just couldn't finish drives. Some of that's field goal related. Some of it's uh, inexperienced. But I think some of it, too, is we got down close and things got compacted and we couldn't run the football in the red zone. So, again, 10 rushing touchdowns and just 821 yards as a team last year. Got to get that number over 1,000. And, that, and that, that's kind of been, I think, the target right now when you think about this team. What would 200 yards more mean? And so if you start, start doing this exponentially, it probably means a couple more touchdowns, which probably means you know, less field goal attempts and things of that nature. Uh, but we are not a team that's going to commit a lot of resources to running football. When you begin to look at the numbers, you begin to kind of you – know, the gravity of it all kind of hits you. You know, we only ran the football 20 or more times – what, six times? Yeah, six times on the year. That's it. So you're not going to have a lot of those true running plays. And a lot of people, they say, well, you know, Steve, we need to commit more to the run. Here, here's, here's the deal. That's not necessarily true because you can achieve the same objective by running those little you know, forward passes on the toss and the shovel. You, you can get the same thing done, and that's you want to make the linebacker be indecisive. You want to be able to make the, the linebacker have to make a decision-making process. If he's bailing out the cover, it doesn't matter if you hand it to the running back, you pitch it to the running back, you toss it to the running back, you shovel it to the running back. The same objective is reached, and that is to put the linebacker in conflict. So that's kind of what we were talking about earlier about don't just let the numbers think, oh, well, we're not doing enough of this. Because, again, the, the, the objective is met no matter how you get the ball in the running back in space. We've just got to do a better job of doing that. We talk about, you know, Will Rogers, well, you know, the yards per attempt. Well, that, that's where that comes from. Yards per attempt is not very long. It's not the air raid. Well, no, it is the air raid. This isn't the run and shoot. You know, we're not running – it's not like Madden where we're throwing a Hail Mary every play. 
But the yards per attempt for Will Rogers comes down because some of this controlled passing game that we do that's kind of an extension of the running game. That said, we need to run the football a little bit better. Some of that's offensive line related. You know, you, you go out and you recruit and develop and kind of fine-tune guys to be pass setters, right? The guys that work in pass protection. And they don't have to run block that often, but when they do, we got to be effective with that. And I'll tell you, most offensive linemen, when you talk to, they'd rather run block than pass block. Because when you're running the football, you're firing off the line. You're, you're the guy that's delivering the blow. When you're in pass protection, you're back on your heels a little bit, and you got to be a little more athletic. You can be a grinder. You can be a road plow uh, on run blocking. And so to get a little deeper into these numbers, that's the team numbers. But our two primary running backs, of course, Woody Marks uh, and Dylan Johnson. So let's take a look at this. Let's start with Woody Marks. What if I told you that Woody Marks' longest carry of the year, longest run of the year, came in week one? He had 12 carries for 71 yards, a couple touchdowns, and a long of 23. He only had two runs on the entire season that went 20 yards or more. Now, that in no way is a criticism of Woody Marks. That is a product of the system, right? Because everybody's dropping back in the coverage, so people are off the line of scrimmage. They're willing to give you that four- or five-yard run, so you're not going to have that explosive run. And I read that all the time. It's like, oh, why don't we, we don't have these explosive plays. Well, that's just because how people defense us. But when I go through and look at this, you know, some, there are several games where Woody gets single-digit carries. Played in 13 games, and nine of the 13 games he had single-digit carries, and most of the time it was five or fewer. Now, this is a very physical runner, and he wasn't as a freshman. He had a little more wiggle as a freshman. He bulked up a little bit last year. How many times did you see him as a freshman in 2020? And really play him before he was ready. I mean, mentally, I know he was ready to go, like he was committed to the cause. But probably could have used a little seasoning. But he's thrust out there, does the best he can do. But how many times did we throw it out there in the flats to him and he couldn't make a guy miss or he couldn't power through a tackle? Well, last year, because of a new commitment to the weight room, he's absolutely powering through those tackles. There were some times last year I thought Woody Marks really delivered the blow. And over the course of, of a ball game, that takes its toll on a defense. And I think now that he's gotten a little bit stronger, you know, maybe, maybe he picks up a couple more carries a game. Now, it's all about touches. I mean, Woody Marks is about to, to, to break the school record for receptions in a career. You know, last year he had 83 receptions. And I would submit that you know, probably a quarter of those you know, are part of this controlled passing game, you know, within, you know, basically within a couple yards of the quarterback potentially more than that you know it's not that we don't run the wheel route that often with him right and so we can achieve the same objective in many respects as far as what we want to do schematically with the control passing game but I think sometimes guys like Woody Marks guys that have kind of grown up carrying the football they need to be able to do that themselves not just because of the fact that it saves a little wear and tear on the offensive line but also too I think guys just want to run football. Now, Woody knew kind of coming in here what things were going to look like. You know, of course, you know, he was originally a commitment to Joe Moorhead, and 
Uh, he is, I think, thriving in our system, but I think there is a little more in the tank. I think we can probably utilize him a little bit more now that he's bigger and stronger and kind of understands the rigors of interior offensive line play. You know, I think this is a guy that can – I think there is more available. And I think the more we feed him the football, the better he's going to be. And you say, well, Steve, you know, we had all these touches last year. Yeah, he did. And he's going to have even more this year. I think the guy can be a real weapon for us. And I think that's another thing that's going to kind of help in kind of the development of the air raid is all of a sudden when you've got a guy like Woody Marks paired up with a corner outside and he powers through somebody and runs for 15, 20 yards, now all of a sudden – we got to consider getting out of that drop eight. You take what they give you, but you've got to punish them when you have the opportunity. Let's look at Dylan Jones. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever, sorry folks, and also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code, saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovas.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Johnson's yards. And by, oh, by the way, too, Jaquavius Marks last year, 1,149 all-purpose yards. I expect that number to go up this year. I do. 
He helped out on kick returns last year, of course, you know, late in the year. And that's one of the reasons that you saw his numbers kind of jump a little bit. Uh, I like that a lot. I like him running the football returns. Uh, you know, he had, you know, I guess, three or four last year to over 30-yard returns. It would be nice to kind of get that set up right. All right, let's look at DJ. I'm a Dylan Johnson fan, as I am a fan of Woody Marks. I think the guys make a great tandem. Uh, known Dylan Johnson a little bit longer than I've known Woody Marks. But, uh, you know, DJ, another guy too, we talk about the longer runs. You know, both of these guys had seven games last year where they didn't have a run of 10 yards or more. Seven out of 13 games. Think about that for a second. Like, if you never thought about that, that even with the fact that we've got the defense bailing out, we can't eat up that space in between and get a double-digit run. I mean, this doesn't happen very often. And, and Dylan Johnson, you know, his uh, season-long run, 32 yards, and that was a cutback against Tennessee State. He did have a 30-yarder against Texas Tech and then had uh, one against Auburn for 22. You probably remember that since State was putting the game away. And, again, I think all of his big runs last year were on cutbacks. He has the ability to do that. He has good vision, but he only carried the football – more than 10 times, one time all year, and that was against Kentucky, a game that we were truly committed to establishing the run. 11 carries, 41 yards, two touchdowns. And and to be honest with you, I think DJ, like on the interior, when I got to bang it in from a yard out, I think that's where I'm going. If I got to get it outside, I'm going to Woody. But if, if I'm running between the tackles, I may give it to DJ. I, I think he has a good low center of gravity and good leg drive. I think he can power that, that pile into the end zone. But when you begin to look at the numbers again, too, you know, it's, are we underutilizing him? Uh, I think all of this goes back to offensive efficiency within the red zone. It's one thing when everybody's got you know, the full field to defend, right? When things get compacted in the red zone, you got to be a little more creative. You got to hold people accountable. It's like when you know everybody knows, oh, this is the air raid, so we, you know, we're going to have you know uh, two deep safeties or three deep safeties, and so we got everybody's bailing out here, and you got somebody spying the backer, we've got to be able to eat that ground up. And maybe it's one of the situations, too, where maybe it's not necessarily the play call or the frequency with which we run the football. It may boil down to simply our running backs becoming a little more experienced, getting a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. Now, one of the things that I've learned, too, is – Will Rogers, uh, for the most part, with the rare exception, has the autonomy to check into whatever he wants to check into. And sometimes last year, defense has kind of dis- disguised things to kind of bait us into a check. And that's something this year that I think that we're going to be better at. Our film study, there's always new wrinkles week after week, but there were some times last year, you know, we checked like to run the football against the bear front. You know, that's just not, that's just not going to work. But as Will Rogers has matured and has kind of figured out how people are attacking us from the defensive side of the football, I think he is learning what to check into, what's a bad play. And so all of this kind of works together, kind of cohesively. And so, you know, we don't need Will carrying the football, right? I mean, it's one of those things, hey, when it's there – and we need to get a first down and move a chance, yeah, go do that. But we don't need a bunch of design runs. I just think what we need to do is we've got to, number one, be more effective 
when we choose to run the football. And that's on the offensive line, but it's also on our backs. Our backs got to take a step forward. They did year over year because, again, they played before they were ready. But you never heard either one of them complain. They were happy to be able to contribute. Of course, everybody wants to play as a, as a freshman. They had to play as a freshman. The good thing is if that 2020 year doesn't really count against their eligibility. So if we decide to keep them around, they decide to stay around, then uh, we've got them for a little bit longer. But I wanted to kind of dig into this. You know, individually, we talk about, you know, how everybody's doing. But, uh, you know, when I look at these numbers, you know, for Dylan Johnson, you know, his yards per carry average is very respectable. I mean, it is. And you go back and you look, you know, Louisiana Tech, two carries for 12 yards. He had a long of eight, which means he had one for four. NC State, six carries, 18 yards. Against Memphis, seven for 49. Oh, yeah, so seven yards a carry against them. A touchdown, long of 14. Sounds like they couldn't stop him. Against LSU, big game, eight, eight carries, 51 yards. Long of 12. A&M, six for 19. Alabama, 7 for 24. Vanderbilt, 7 for 34. And then Kentucky, we mentioned 11 for 41. Against Arkansas, we're 8 for 31, just under four yards of carry there. At Auburn, 8 for 62. That's a big number, right? 62 is the season high for Dylan Johnson, and he did it twice. Tennessee State, 5 for 56. Ole Miss, 5 for 26. And Texas Tech, 9 for 62. So when you start running the math here, you begin to realize – you know, Dylan Johnson is a guy that, when he gets the football, is able to move things forward. 5.4 yards per carry. And you're thinking, well, Steve, if we're averaging five yards a carry, won't we run it more? That's a good question. And, again, you you got to kind of pick and choose a little bit. You, again, we're not going to be a balanced offense. I just think we've got to be a little more effective with this. And uh, you know, didn't do a lot of kick returns. I guess he was involved with the – with a handful against Memphis, but uh, 949 yards all purpose. And uh, DJ didn't get in the end zone a whole lot last year as a receiver. He just had the one touchdown catch against Auburn, and that was the one on the right pylon. And Will, like, went to him and then went away from him and then came back to him and, and hit him around the pylon there. It's a huge touchdown when it happened. But I think it's important to take all this in its proper context. Again, the running numbers don't look as anemic when you look at them in the proper context, because people say, oh, we're one of the worst teams in the country running the football. And when they always flash that graphic up there, you know, on the SEC network, it's like, what, what do you expect us to do? That's just not as big a part of our offense as it once was. You know, when Dan Mullen was here, and that's one of the things I loved about the Dan Mullen spread. Dan would spread you out, and then basically it was a power running game. He was going to get the numbers, he was going to get leverage, and he was going to basically just kind of ram it up your, your rear. That's what we're going to do. Completely different style of offense. And so it's taken us some time, you know, and there's some elements of the Mullen scheme that were in the Joe Moorhead offense. And you know, we wanted to run the RPO. We had to go out and get a, you know, really a pass first quarterback. And we've got Tommy Stevens, it didn't work out for us. Got KJ Costello, it didn't work out for us in the air rate other than one game. But we've had this, you know, personnel kind of changeover. And I think now the guys will be a little more effective. And that's not to say that they weren't. That's something that were ineffective last year. I just think they were a little bit underutilized. Not much. I'm not saying we got to go out there and, and change the scheme. I just think you know, when you begin to look at the success we've had, you've got to implement a little bit more of that, especially when you know people are going to be rushing three and dropping eight. 
you get one block on the edge that ought to be a five-yard gain just about every time, right? That's how it should be. Now, and again, I know in many respects I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, so I just want to make sure that everybody kind of sees kind of where we are. I think we all agree we can be a little more uh, multiple at times on offense, but I think what, what we're going to see as our quarterback has gained – you know, a year and a half of starting experience and our two running backs have a year and a half now starting experience, I think you're going to see Will Rogers put them in a situation they can be more successful. And I think because of their physical skill and experience, they're going to be more successful anyway. So you're, I think you're going to see the running game grow up a little bit. But, again, don't expect us to be a balanced offense. We're going to run to basically keep teams honest, but also, too, I think you're going to see a much bigger commitment in the red zone when it comes to the running game. I think we're going to spread people out the way Dan Mullen did, but we're going to attack them a little bit differently. We'll spread them out with the threat of the pass and then have that power running game. And, and again, that interior offensive line's got to really hold up for us this year. And I, I think in many respects the interior offensive line's probably the strength, but we're going to need Albert Reese and uh, Dollar Bill and Percy Lewis and those guys to get up speed sooner rather than later. So, uh, again, that's a look at the running offense. And um, – I thought you might be interested in those numbers. All right, time for today's top 10 list, brought to you as always by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler, a friend of mine, a friend of yours, a friend in the industry. That's the mortgage industry. Maybe you thought, you know, Steve, maybe it's time to refinance. You know, maybe you're waiting around to kind of say, what, what are interest rates going to do? Not exactly sure. Maybe you need to get some equity out. Maybe you've got some home improvements to do. Maybe you've got a wedding to pay for. I don't know. Maybe you're putting a pool in. I don't know. I don't know what you're planning. But Blair can give you options. A guy that's been in the industry for 21 years. I don't care what, you, what kind of line of work you're in. If you've been successful in one industry in 21 years, you're getting it done, right? So tip of the cap to Blair and all of you that have been able to do that. Uh, Blair works at Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it came to mortgage loan origination. Blair's also a closer. And coffee is for closers, and he drinks more than his fair share because he closes a ton of loans. Top 1% close ratio in the country. Not just Rankin County, not just Stone County, in the country. Licensed to practice in several states. Reach out to him today. It's not just a Mississippi deal. And Blair will be happy to serve you. Go to CloseToBlair.com to learn more about him or contact him directly at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And if you mentioned to him that you heard about him on the Boneyard, he is going to pay for your appraisal. That's a great value. Just by being a Boneyard listener and partnering with our friend Blair Chandler, you're going to be able to save some money that may not be available to you anywhere else, right? And that's because Blair wants to keep it in the family. Season ticket holder, has a place here in Starkville. Season ticket holder in multiple sports. So you're doing business with a friend. Again, that's closeofblair.com. All right. Man, it feels weird to say this. We're going to go back 40 years and say, Steve, the 80s again? Yes, because here's the deal. Music, rock music specifically, was really in transition at the time. You know, rock radio was a little bit different back then. You know, we did we were beginning to see kind of the infancy and the forerunners of heavy metal. 
you know, Black Sabbath had already kicked Ozzy out. Ozzy was already a solo artist. Um, you know, Iron Maiden, ACDC. So the forerunners, kind of the OGs, if you will, of heavy metal, were beginning to kind of make some things happen. Um, and I think that's important to kind of go back and, and look at the transition. This is before the Sunset Strip exploded. It's before Rat and Motley and Guns N' Roses and Poison and all those bands kind of ruled the West and eventually the world. And so I wanted to go through this because it is a very, very diverse list in many respects. A lot of different styles that were, quote, considered rock. So I basically what I did is I pulled up the rock charts and I picked my 10 songs. Now, I didn't include the Scorpions. And you know I love the Scorpions because uh, No One Like You was one of the big hits that year. And we have done the Scorp so much on, on here. I wanted to put some of these one-hit wonders that I thought were important songs at the time on the list. So I had to make some difficult decisions, and I pulled the Scorps out. As much as I love the Scorps, I wanted to give them their due on the show. We all love the Scorpions. We all know Rocky Like a Hurricane. We all know Winds of Change. And if you've listened to the show a lot, you've heard a lot about the Scorpions, one of the best bands I've ever seen live. They're pros. But here are your top ten rock songs from 1982. I was 10. 10. And we had our rock fingers in the air. All right, number 10. And this is really, you're going to say, Steve, you dropped the Scorpions for this. So Roy has been on me for a while about this particular band. He wants me to do a top 10 of this band. This band doesn't have 10 hits. There are other people out there that are pushing their their list on me, and their bands don't have 10 hits. But this was a great song. And even though it's kind of a fusion song, it's not really a true rock song in many respects. It made the list. Number 10 is Heat of the Moment by the band Asia. So Roy there. We can drop it now. Number nine, a guy that was really, really good and in many respects kind of a forgotten artist now. Nobody ever talks about the guy. But it's Alda Nova, and we're going with the track Fantasy. And uh, I remember when he had his comeback there in the early 90s, and you know, everybody went and bought the album again. I mean, Alda Nova was a guy that was, uh, again, you go back and listen, and I don't know that he gets enough respect for what he did as a pioneer in rock. I mean, honestly, you go back and listen to the song Fantasy, and you'd be like, wow, you know. And maybe some of you young bucks are unfamiliar with it, but Alda Nova was doing some things before a lot of your favorite bands were. And again, I don't know that he gets enough credit. So we're going we're gonna to give you a tip of the cap here, Alda Nova. All right, number eight. This was really a rock radio song and a one-hit wonder all the way. Sound a little bit like 38 Special. Some other bands out there. Um, it's the band called The Tubes. They're making their top ten list debut today. And the song is She's a Beauty. An incredible video, too. You've heard the song, She's a Beauty, One in a Million Girls, Why Would I Lie? You know. This was a huge song. And while it didn't really fit the direction that rock music was going in America, at the time it was a huge radio hit. It was really more pop rock, and so you got played on pop radio. And it was in the infancy of MTV, and so it was a huge song from a band that, you know, didn't have a lot to hang their hat on. But that's a song even to this day you still hear on the radio. Number seven... A guy that uh, is very instrumental in American rock. And I would 
I would submit to you was a metal artist and then joined a classic rock band during their heyday. I'm talking Sammy Hagar. One of Sammy's best solo tracks, Your Love is Driving Me Crazy. And I don't know that Sammy gets enough credit as a vocalist either. Sammy was always an incredible songwriter, uh, came up with some pretty catchy riffs. But Sammy could really sing. Even before he joined Van Halen, Sammy Hagar was cranking out some great rock tunes. We could probably, you know, spend a lot of time talking about that. We're not going to. But that song in 82, and just saying that, when I think about the fact that it still holds up today, 40 years later, to think that that gem of a track got dropped in 82 in kind of this, you know, witch's brew of rock, it's a great track. All right, number six, and I believe this band is also making their their top ten list debut. It is an incredible band that had basically had uh, had two different careers. It is the band Golden Earring, and we're going with Twilight Zone. I love that song. Absolutely love it. You know, I know we've done Radar Love on here before, and I think we used the White Lion version. Golden Earring. Twilight Zone, that's to me is their signature track. Number five, a band that was just really beginning to kind of come to American attention, Def Leppard. The legendary track, Photograph. I love that opening riff. Phil Collins absolutely bangs that thing out. And a lot of people think High and Dry was a better album. What really got me into Def Leppard was the Pyromania album that this was a part of. I remember being a kid going through the, uh, through the lunch line. I remember going through there and having that cassette in my pocket and everybody being jealous. You know, that's what we did. It brings to school make people jealous. Uh, number four, the only real big hit for this band before they changed singers and released the album Vital Signs with a Mississippi native, it's Eye of the Tiger from Survivor. And this thing was everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And it rode the success of Rocky Three. But that is still played to this day. It's an iconic song that was released in 82. And I think you go back, and these songs, with rare exception, are songs that have stood the test of time. They weren't just part of a trend. They were part of a great collection of rock songs 40 years ago. Makes me feel old. Number three, one of the greatest metal songs in the history of the world. And it's not close. Bruce Dickinson joined Iron Maiden and everything changed. Everything changed for Iron Maiden. And all of a sudden, British metal comes to America and finds a new level of success. Because if you don't break in America, you really don't break. You really don't. You may have success in your native country, but the bottom line is you got to break in America. That's not being arrogant or haughty. That's just the reality of things. We're going to run to the hills. That vocal on there is legendary. All right, number two, we mentioned him earlier in the show. He had been ousted from Black Sabbath, put together a diary of a madman. We're going with the Randy Rhodes classic, Flying High Again from Ozzy Osbourne. Flying High Again, I listened to that song just last week. I love the track. Randy really lays it down. I still contend, and I will die on this hill, the Jake E. Lee years of Ozzy's career was the pinnacle of his career. The absolute pinnacle when Ozzy kind of ruled the world. Randy, tragically, died too soon. And Randy was a phenomenal guitar player. And, you know, technically, Randy's probably better than Jake. Jake's a little more of a bluesy guy anyway. But 
I think Jake breathed new life into the Ozzy Osbourne experience. But uh, today we're going to tip the cap to our Randy Rhodes, our legendary guitar player. Number one, final song on your list. Number one, and this is uh, and this is another band that's had some success with two different singers. And I think a lot of you uh, young people today, you got into this song because of that great movie, School of Rock. It's for those about to rock. We salute you from ACDC. If you've been to a rock concert in your life, chances are they played this on the PA when everybody was waiting for the band to start. One of the great rock songs, and again, contribution to American metal, thanks to the, the, the boys from Australia. And they end up hiring Brian Johnson. Things change, but the, uh, the delivery remained the same. Still cranking out great tunes. So there's your top 10 rock songs from 1982. Hope you enjoyed that list. I think that playlist will be a lot of fun to listen to. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. Better yet, hit up Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. He'll put you on the list. And eventually we'll get to you. So if you've got a request in and haven't got to you yet, what we're going to do on Wednesday, I'm going to let Roy pick one from the list. And then we'll knock that one out. So I'm not going to have any... Any say in that, we'll just let Roy go through and say, hey, let's do this one. We'll do that one. All right, this segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. You know Campus Bookmark well, and if you don't, you should. You should. Campus Bookmark, an outstanding place to do business. A Stark building an institution run by Bulldog fans, for Bulldog fans. They know exactly what you're looking for. The most extensive selection of Mississippi State merchandise, perhaps in the state, if not the known universe right here in Starkville. When you're in town, go by and see their smiling faces, the lovely, talented Susie, Miss Kathy Brown, Miss Pam Minyard, the whole crew there will treat you like family because in their minds, you are family. If you can't make it to town and want to support a local business, we encourage you to do so. Go to campusbookmart.net and by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Okay, let's take a look at the Auburn Tigers. Really, 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 really bad end of the year last year. Let's recap that uh, while we have a few moments here. It's, uh, it's a wild time over on the Plains. You know, they pursued a termination of Brian Harson last year. Uh, pretty crazy stuff out there. A lot of rumors. A lot of innuendo. Apparently that could not be substantiated because he remains their coach. That said, there are some people at Auburn that tell me that as a result of some of that, that there are some families, some prominent Auburn families that are not contributing to NIL. That's an issue to say the least. So let's look back at last year. Auburn opens the year with a 60-10 to win over Akron, and then a 62 win over Alabama State, and everybody's like, man, look at this offense. Things are going to roll. They go to Beaver Stadium and University Park and lose to Penn State 28-20. A good game, difficult to go on the road and win in the Power Five, especially at a program like Penn State. Really big home field advantage there. They bounce back, and they beat Georgia State 34-24. You may recall, Georgia State should have won the game. 
Georgia State led pretty much throughout. Auburn was gifted a completion that gave them a first down that led to them taking the lead late. And then a pick six puts it away. Georgia State, in many respects, was robbed of that game. Then Auburn goes down and beats up a pretty beleaguered LSU team at that time. You know, Mississippi State's the last team to play LSU at full strength. So the rest of the SEC should thank us. Not that they their own ineptitude wasn't an issue down the stretch, but there was some injury suffered uh, during that game against Mississippi State. But Auburn wins 24-19, and that's the best win really of them on the season, I think, um, with maybe one exception. We'll get to that a little bit later. They then lose to Georgia 34-10. The game really wasn't competitive. They do win in Arkansas. And I think in hindsight, that's probably the most impressive win because Arkansas was a good team last year. Bo Nix had an incredible game, who's now at Oregon, to beat Arkansas 38-23. And it was a very back-and-forth game until Auburn finished up strong. The bye week, they host Ole Miss – who had a really good year last year, Auburn wins 31-20. And that's, you know, four out of five there. You're thinking, okay, well, things are okay. Well, then the bottom falls out. That Ole Miss win was the last one on a season for the Tigers. They travel to College Station, put up three points, lose 20-3. Then, of course, the Mississippi State miraculous comeback. They lose 43-34 after having a huge lead at the half. Then they go to South Carolina. They lose 21-17. That, just not going to happen. Again, I, I talk about this South Carolina team, and they've become so trendy. I, it was a fluke. I'm just telling you, they got a Auburn team that lost its way, and they got a Florida team that basically quit on Dan Mullen. That's two of their wins to get them bow eligible. I thought they were staring 4-8 and eight right in the face. I won't be surprised if South Carolina has a losing record this year. And then they get up off the mat and should have beat Alabama. Auburn, of course, loses 24-22 in four overtimes. And then they limp into the Birmingham Bowl and lose to the Houston Cougars 17-13. That's your Auburn season. Six and seven overall, three and five in the SEC, and they lose five. And, And, of course, What's, what's incredible, there are three SEC wins, LSU, Ole Miss, Arkansas, all three of those bowl teams. And Arkansas and Ole Miss really having good seasons last year. So it's kind of fluky, right? You look at it and say it doesn't make a lot of sense. And to be fair about it, if they lose that Georgia State game, they, they may go in the tank a little bit earlier. So let's look at some numbers from uh, last year. Bo Nix, of course uh, – you know, the straw that stirred the drink, and he has the uh, broken ankle against Mississippi State. And as bad as we were at def- on defense at times last year, we were a very physical defense. Bo Nix plays in 10 games, 61% completion ratio, 2,294 yards passing, 11 touchdowns, three picks, QBR of 130. T.J. Finley kind of played in relief, and was, there was a lot of discussion he was going to be the dude because he led them in the comeback against Georgia State. Nine games, 54.7% completion ratio, six touchdowns, and then the one pick there. 
Uh, Finley, of course, will uh, battle with former Texas A&M quarterback Zach Calzada to be the starter. I would give the edge to Calzada. I think he is the better passer, even though Finley is the better athlete. Probably see a package for both guys. Now, Tank Bigsby, the running back there, first-team All-SEC selection this year. Uh, this Auburn running game should be very good. Should be. Tank Bigsby uh, went into the portal, withdrew from the portal. I like Tank Bigsby's game. I wouldn't say he's as shifty as Spiller from A&M was. I think he's more of a power back, more of a one-cut runner. But they do have some similarities. And Tank Bigsby is a guy I think can carry this Auburn team a little bit. Uh, 223 carries last year, 1,099 yards, 10 touchdowns on the ground. Uh, if they can replicate that this year, I think they'll feel like we got a shot at a bowl game. Now, Mississippi native Jarquez Hunter played as a true freshman. 89 carries, 593 yards, three touchdowns, also had a touchdown catch, uh, four touchdowns on the year. And Jarquez Hunter really acquitted himself really well. And he'll be asked to carry uh, a little bit more of the, of the mail this year. But they should be able to run the football. Should be able to run the football. And I know there's always, you know, some moving parts to an offensive line. But that's, that's a group last year I thought was, was decent. Uh, but the quarterback, the quarterback situation, that's what's really up for grabs. Now, you've got some guys that, uh, you know, transfers, obviously, you know, with uh, T.J. Finley coming in from LSU. Uh, so you've got some guys that were kind of highly heralded as recruits. But they've also kind of flamed out their other places. You know, last year, Calzada, of course, uh, beats Alabama and then you know, really never got any respect. Had a tough game against us. He had that big run there. But outside of that, he didn't do a whole lot against us. But, uh, you know, this is an offense, too, that I think you look at and you begin to wonder, okay, where are the playmakers going to come from? Where are the playmakers going to come from? Um, you know, Kobe Hudson has left the program. Uh, wide receiver out there had 44 catches last year to lead the team. Uh, not a lot of receptions last year. Not a lot of guys out there put up big numbers. Shedrick Jackson had 40 catches and one touchdown, and Demetrius Robertson, 37. Uh, and so the Auburn transfer portal, the wire, people leaving the Auburn program, there were a ton of guys that left that program. And um, I think that's the thing you look at and you begin to wonder, you know, how much of that, how much of that impacts the team this year? Auburn picked up some transfers coming in, but um, hadn't always worked out quite as well. Uh, and, again, you begin to ask yourself, too, I mean, you know, do these guys fit more of what Harson wants to do offensively? Um, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But you go out and get a couple quarterbacks. Robbie Ashford also joins the program, too, so he'll, he'll compete there. But, uh, you know, not a lot of guys on here that you look at and say, okay, this guy could be a difference maker. I think that's important to kind of look at, too. It's like I, where I think Mississippi State and Ole Miss probably improved their roster. And, of course, Ole Miss needed to. They, they had a lot of losses last year. But when you look at this situation with Auburn, um, you know, safety Ladarius Tennyson leaves. Caleb Johnson, edge rusher, leaves. Uh, running back Sean Shivers leaves. Um, Elijah Canyon, wide receiver, leaves. Eugene Asante, linebacker. Oh, excuse me, that's, that's coming in. Uh, so, um, you know, 
I'm kind of reading this as we go. They do add DJ James, cornerback out of Oregon, a former Mississippi State commitment and an Alabama native. Uh, so, you know, perhaps he gives them a little bit of a boost there. Uh, offensive lineman Tashawn Manning leaves and heads to Kentucky. Of course, we mentioned Bo Nix uh, heads to Oregon. Ironically, Oregon also, the player to be named in that trade is defensive lineman Jason Jones. will make the move from Oregon uh, to Auburn. Florida State, excuse me, uh, Amani Harvey, his high school team was uh, the Seminoles. He's now headed to Georgia Tech. Uh, Dre Butler, defensive lineman, leaves Auburn, heads to Liberty. Kobe Hudson, wide receiver, of course, leaves for Central Florida. Nick Curtis, a linebacker, uh, leaves Robbie Ashford, uh, making the move in. He was the guy, too, that Mississippi State recruited, uh, also comes over from Oregon. Uh, Drashawn Miller, a cornerback from um, Auburn, another guy that hits a portal. Defensive lineman Daniel Foster Allen heads for South Alabama. Uh, linebacker Romello Height leaves for USC. Kalen Newton, wide receiver, leaves the program as well. Uh, Lee Hunter, defensive lineman, uh, reunited with Gus Malzahn out there at Central Florida. J.J. Pegues, you know him, the H-back, uh, is headed to Ole Miss. It'll be interesting to see how they use him. Uh, Ian Matthews, defensive lineman, leaves and heads to Missouri. Marquise Robinson, defensive lineman. Uh, he makes the move in. Javarius Johnson, wide receiver from Auburn, also leaves. And so there's just been a lot of comings and goings and a lot of upheaval on the roster. And some of these guys are guys that were contributors and not just a bunch of guys that were just kind of like a cleansing of the roster. So – how much of that impacts the transition this year kind of remains to be seen. But this is an Auburn team that's got a lot of question marks. A lot of people are picking them last in the SEC West, which is interesting, considering how well that they have uh, recruited over the years. And so the quarterback battle is something that will probably won't be settled until uh, probably the first week. But um, we talked about how you had a handful of receivers here that were pretty good. Kobe Hudson being gone, Demetrius Robertson is gone. Um, so you're going to have, you know, basically new quarterbacks competing with new receivers. It's going to take some time to kind of get uh, those guys on the same page. Uh, defensively, you, know, you always expect Auburn to be really good in the trenches. Um, there's just not a lot of offensive superstars on this roster outside of Tank Bigsby where you look at and say, okay, you know, if they get into a game where they've got to lay the hammer down and score some points, where's that going to come from? So they're going to have to win some things on defense, and that's where Derek Hall comes in. Uh, Derek Hall, a Mississippi native, one of those things that still kind of irritates you, right? Uh, guy that should have been in maroon and white. He's not. Having a good career, represented uh, Auburn at the SEC media days. Now, when you look at this linebacker group, and it always seems that we're talking about um, – and talks about, you know, linebackers. When you think about Auburn, they always seem to have some guys. But um, there are some guys that are back, but there's not, you know, smoke and those guys are gone. So there's not a lot of the discussion about this Auburn linebacking crew. Do they have potential? Yes. 
But when you look at this and you begin to realize that there, the transfer portal and some other issues have really impacted this roster in a negative way, at least on paper, you begin to think to yourself, is this the end of the Brian Harson era in Auburn after just two years? And, you know, and I believe that's the case. I think Auburn is going to struggle this year. I don't think that they got a lot of offensive firepower, no matter the scheme. I don't think you can win without having some stars at receiver. And I don't know that they consistently have quarterbacks that can deliver the pass the way that it should. And then you look at you know, defensively, there should be strong up front, but uh, they're just kind of a no-name defense in many respects outside of Derek Hall. So let's look at the schedule. Uh, the Mercer Bears, that should be a W. San Jose State Spartans should be a W. And then they host Penn State at Jordan-Hare. So they open up the season five straight home games. You need to win all five, I think, if you're Auburn. And I don't know that you can. I think maybe you can win three. I think they beat Mercer. They'll beat San Jose State. I think they lose to Penn State. Missouri is a toss-up game. Missouri's defense is so bad last year. Who knows, who knows what to expect this year? And then they get LSU coming in. And I just think LSU, from a talent standpoint, should out-talent them. So I'm gonna, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, beating Missouri. And we'll say three and two with that five-game stretch, which means that uh, at some point you got to get some road games in, right? couple of tough ones right after that LSU game. They go to Georgia. That's a loss. They go to Ole Miss. That's a toss-up. Because who really knows what these teams are looking like? But if I'm calling it today, here on August 3rd, I got to give Ole Miss the edge. They're playing at home. Toss-up games tend to favor the home team. Then you get the bye week, and then you host Arkansas. Okay, I think that's a loss, too. And now all of a sudden you realize these guys are chasing the season. Then you got to travel to Mississippi State, a team that absolutely shredded your defense last year. There will be a lot of confidence on the Mississippi State side of things. And then you travel to te- – no, excuse me, then you host Texas A&M. When you begin to look at this thing, like when you look at the month of October, we talked about getting through the first, um, you know, five weeks, maybe with a 3-2 and two record. I, I don't think they win again until they play Western Kentucky. So that gives you four wins heading into the Iron Bowl. That includes a loss to Arkansas, loss to Mississippi State, loss to Texas A&M. At this point, how could you pick them to beat any of those teams? Now, if we're going back to Jordan Hare, you know, maybe, maybe you would think, maybe that's a possibility. I just think those guys are going to be gunshot. I think they're going to be beat up by the time they get here. I think that's, you know, I think we should kind of be prepared for that. It's a game Mississippi State needs to win. And so, again, let's count the wins. Mercer, San Jose State, Missouri, and that's kind of giving them benefit of the doubt of having the toss-up at home. And by the same token, I think toss-ups at Ole Miss and Mississippi State favor the Bulldogs and Rebels. Then it's Western Kentucky. So let's call it four and eight right now, and they're going to have to win two toss-up games to get Bo eligible. And I think even if you go six and six, he's done. I think Brian Harson probably needs to go win eight games or, or maybe seven and win the Iron Bowl, and that's in Tuscaloosa this year. And I don't know if you've done the math and looked at that recent years. Alabama uh, traditionally doesn't lose at home. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. But I think we're looking at an Auburn team that is really going to struggle to score points. It's going to put a lot of pressure on a defense. It's, it's kind of figuring out a new identity. 
And that's a secondary last year that was really, really porous at times. Uh, so that's kind of how I see it. Maybe you see it differently. But I, I think the seventh place pick is exactly correct for Auburn. And Brian Harson's a guy that's going to coach his guys hard, going to coach his team hard, trying to save his job here. And I think we all know how this thing plays out. You know, Auburn is notorious for having boosters that have a sense of entitlement. I mean, you all saw it, you know, when they were going to fire Tommy Tuberville when they met with Bobby Petrino and it was all this craziness. And then Tuberville puts it together and they win and they have to keep him. You know, how many times have you turned around and you've heard about Auburn having people that are, have too many cooks in the kitchen? And I think the culture at Auburn's gotten bad. And I think when you look at this Harson thing, too, I mean, you know, was it fair that Brian Harson and his family underwent that after just one season? You know, people forget how difficult it was to find a coach for Auburn last year. I mean, every, every time you turned around, somebody was – you know, it's like you had a bumper sticker, honk, if you've been offered the Auburn job. You know, uh, it's pretty crazy to think about. You know, Auburn is a very proud program. They have a lot of people that are very invested, that have an emotional connection to Auburn. And to see them struggle to hire a coach, you know, it had to be, you know, quite a blow to the ego. Um, but they had some problems. When you lose five straight, including the bowl game, Things aren't great. And everybody was talking last year about their recruiting efforts. Well, you know, they, they did a good job recruiting, uh, finished 21st in the country. And I don't know what this class looks like after report date, but uh, you know, finished 21. This year, things are not good. But you know what, Auburn donors, you know, you, you've kind of made Auburn a little bit radioactive. They're currently ranked 23rd in the country. For the class of 2023, 63rd, excuse me. They're, they're ranked 63rd in the country for 2023, which is crazy to think about. You know, Auburn's a team that always seems to have, you know, a bunch of guys. They, they only have six commitments. Now, granted, they're all composite four stars, but you wonder sometimes, too, is that because the evaluators are maybe giving Auburn too much of benefit of the doubt? And they had a nice little run of commitments uh, last month, but um, – you know, for the until they got into the summer, they only had two commitments. And you start running the numbers here, and you look, you know, it's Alabama kids, by and large. Phoenix City, Alabama. Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, you know, uh, Brandon Jordan uh, from Auburn, Alabama. And that's a kid right there, to be quite honest with you. I don't know the Mississippi State would have taken. 6-1. And to be honest with you, why do we have a guy like him rank as a four-star? It's six one. If that is legit, then he shouldn't be ranked a four star because he's limited position wise. Just my take on it. And so I wonder sometimes too, when you look at the recruiting stuff, you know, how much of this did they get an Auburn bump? Because there are a lot of people that still say, hey, you know, Auburn, you know, an Auburn offer is big. If Auburn wants a kid, you gotta err on the side of caution. I think as toxic as that environment is, I, I think you kind of got a question why these kids are going to Auburn. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to my friends at Auburn because I have several over there. But I begin to ask myself, are you going to Auburn because it's the best option? And if you see it as the best option, considering what's going on behind the scenes up there, what other options do you have? Well, it's an SEC school. Auburn's a beautiful campus. 
They may make a coaching change, but I could, I could see going to school there, right? That's still a tough sell. Now, Brandon jo- Braden Jordan, excuse me, he committed January 1st. He's the guy that's at Auburn High School. So it makes sense for him to jump on board there. He's playing for the hometown team. But I just question some of this. I think, I think there are a lot of Auburn fans, too, that are thinking, you know what, hey, we, we better get on the, on the sticks here and start getting some kids to commit. You got six kids committed, and we're, we're going into fall camp. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about that in many respects, that a team like Auburn would be struggling this hard uh, to get guys to commit. And maybe they're going to take advantage of the, uh, the, like the old Miss plan, right? Uh, speaking of that, let's take a quick look at the SEC rankings when it comes to uh, recruiting right now. Auburn dead last in the SEC. Now, it's in the West, dead last. 14th. Missouri is 13th. Ole Miss is 12th. Vanderbilt 11th. Mississippi State 10th. This is all according to the 247 Sports Composite. Kentucky is 9th. Not too far ahead of Mississippi State. Um, got one more commitment, too. You know, if State gets a four-star quarterback that we're all kind of, you know, expecting, they could leapfrog Kentucky. Texas A&M, the of the NIL controversy, eighth in the conference. South Carolina is seventh. They've seen a nice uptick since Shane Beamer's been there. Sam Pittman, those guys are six, but Sam and I also have fifth, uh, excuse me, Sam and I also have 23 commitments. And so, yeah, they're ranked high. But a lot of that is because of quantity, not necessarily quality. Florida fifth in the SEC, 16 commitments there. Um, not too far behind Tennessee within striking distance. But Tennessee also has 19 commitments. So when Florida pulls even with number of commitments, they should probably pass Tennessee. LSU third in the conference. And then Georgia second, Alabama number one. So if you're curious – about recruiting rankings, there you go. I think it's important, you know, to keep up with that because, you know, it changes. You know, Mississippi State now with 13 commitments, there are some teams behind us with less commitments that could potentially pass us, right, depending on how they recruit. Uh, with the Bulldogs, I think, you know, again, we're going to recruit pretty much like we always have, no matter who the coach is, because of our recruiting footprints established. And I just don't think you can move the needle a lot. I don't think you can say, hey, let's go in there and just carpet bomb uh, Dallas, and we're going to be able to go shake things up over there. I think you can do that after you put together a big season. I think if you're if you're getting along here at seven and five, six and six, eight and four, it's going to be difficult to go two states away and convince a player to come here. I think by and large, Mississippi State's recruiting footprint, with rare exception, is going to be the state of Mississippi and its border states. And then you kind of spot and recruit where you need to, especially for skill position guys. You know, Steve Spurrier has shown us that he's a guy that. Uh, you can kind of go out there and freelance on his own and find pretty good wide receivers for us. And so we'll see how things go in that respect. But I think, you know, if you're a team like Auburn and if you're a fan of Auburn, I think you've got to be concerned. There are a lot of things that are negative right now about Auburn. And I think recruiting is part of it. But I think recruiting in many respects, it might be the least of your worries. I think the culture issue is a much bigger issue. You don't have good culture right now. You've got families out there that are longtime donors of Auburn. They're like, you know what, I just can't support this, so I'm not contributing to NIL. And it makes you wonder, too, what people believe about Brian Harson that may or may not be true. You know, maybe it's not true, maybe it is. But I think it's important to kind of work through all that uh, and see. But I think, 
I think I don't think there's Auburn people that are excited about football. And do you blame them? You're, you're probably looking at a tough season and then a coaching change, which means a culture shift next year. It may take a year or two. And Auburn is just kind of out here listing. I mean, they, they really are. Alabama is rolling. And they're also – Alabama gets to enjoy their season and the fact that Auburn appears to have lost some real direction and probably facing another coaching change uh, this year. It's amazing what's happened to Auburn, though. It really is. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've always felt, there is, there's a certain level of kinship between Mississippi State and Auburn. You know, it's land-grant schools. And uh, I think that's interesting, you know. I think that's uh, – you know, we've had to deal with, you know, Ole Miss's arrogance, and, and they've had to do it even even worse because Alabama actually has won some things. Can you imagine being an Auburn fan right now, living through this? I mean, honestly, it's miserable to think about. Yeah, you go back several years here, you know, like you know, Brian Harson, of course, replaces Gus Malzahn, and the, the Gus departure was not a tidy undertaking either. You remember they beat us, and then he got fired, and he took a job at Central Florida. But Gus was a guy, too. You know, we always talked about the Gus bus, right, all aboard the Gus bus. We go eight and four. And that's the thing you look back, you know, Gus was there as the head coach from 2013 to 2020. He had double-digit wins twice. Of course, in 2013, they played for a NAFL championship, and they lost to Florida State. And then from there, it just all fell apart. Eight and five, seven and six, eight and five. They win 10 and 17 and lose the Peach Bowl. And then eight and five, nine and four, six and five, six, and then Brian Harson six and seven. So you begin to think Alabama recruits nationally, and surely they're cherry-picking their home state, but – you know, where is Auburn getting players and why aren't they winning more? You go back to Gene Chizik, you know, you remember what a bad hire that was on paper. They go 8-5 and five and they get Cam Newton. Then they they go undefeated in, in uh, 2010 and should have lost to Mississippi State. And then 8-5, and 3-9. and nine. You know, it's like the guy catches lightning in the bottle. And then Tommy Tuberville, of course, uh, had some really good seasons at Auburn. But, you know, looking at Tommy's tenure as well, just two seasons of double-digit wins. And he was there from 1999 to 2008. Remember, that's the old Pine Box story, right? Well, he's replacing a guy too, Terry Bowden. Terry Bowden comes in, has you know, they win the SEC that first year. They were ineligible, but they go 11-0 and and finish fourth in the country. And next thing you know, it's uh, kind of 8-4. and four. It's kind of like Auburn in many respects, ever since Pat Dye has left, Auburn in many respects has become Mississippi State. You know, Auburn people wouldn't want to hear that, but that's the reality of it. Auburn is basically Mississippi State with a better recruiting footprint and a better pedigree in that respect. But we're not too far away from saying we've caught Auburn in the league. It's kind of crazy to think about. That's why I think if Mike Leach can get this thing going, you know, you might be able to go over there and maybe get some players out of Alabama head-to-head with Auburn that maybe Alabama's not on. So I just share that because I think, I think Auburn is at a dangerous point in its football history. And it's not just because of the on-the-field results. It's recruiting, it's donorship. It, there's just all this animosity and angst. And, you know, you hate it for your friends, but the reality of it is, is you know, it, it's a situation Mississippi State needs to take advantage of. All right, time for the final segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. 
Uh, Portico, of course, a great residential development here in the greater Starkville area, just 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Close enough for convenience, far enough away to have a little privacy, right? One of those things that uh, you've always dreamed of, we want to move to Starkville, we want to have a place in Starkville. Well, now you can make your dream a reality. Make the move to Starkville and become our neighbor. Or perhaps you want to buy a home now and kind of set up your retirement. Or maybe you just want a home away from home, a place to be your ballgame weekend retreat. Portico can feed any of those needs. Uh, you can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. You'll be glad you did. Uh, great construction, great development, and again, very conveniently located to campus. Let me give you Brooks Bryan's phone number. Brooks is part of this great group, and again, uh, 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. They can get you lined up. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two under construction. They've got some homes under construction now. A couple of those are custom builds, and so if you have some specific needs, you can let them know, and they can kind of build that house to spec for you. Pick out your lot. Still some room out there for you to do that. So if you've been thinking about moving to the greater Starkville area, look no further than Portico. Make Portico your next move. All right, a lot of speculation about Chris Parson right now. I'm just going to tell you what I've, been, what I've learned, okay? Talked about this a little bit uh, a couple days ago, but uh, things still appear to be trending in the right direction. Chris and his family are taking a very measured approach to this. It was his dream to play at Florida State. That is not working out. Now, some have wondered if Florida State wouldn't double back. Now that Brock Glenn has committed to Ohio State, I am told that that bridge is burned, that there's no going back, that uh, both sides, Florida State and Chris Parson, are both looking in opposite directions. Now, Chris committed very early, helped them recruit other players to join him at Florida State. They had made a commitment to him that he was going to be the only quarterback in his class. That's why he committed early. It was a dream for him, and he knew that he was going to be the guy in his class. I don't begrudge any quarterback for having those thoughts, especially when they tell you that. So, I think, again – it's important to give the kid a little chance to you know, make a move here. Uh, there's been some discussion about Texas A&M. I don't know how serious that is at all. I know they're in the process of trying to flip a quarterback commitment from USC. Uh, and anytime you hear A&M nowadays, you think, oh, there's NIL money here. I'm certain there would be, especially for a quarterback, right? Uh, but A&M has not really made a strong advance towards Chris. Virginia Tech tried to get involved with him. Of course, they already have a quarterback committed, so you wouldn't leave one situation Well, I'm leaving Florida State because I don't want to be part of a two-quarterback class to go join another one. It wouldn't make a lot of sense. You just, you know, if that's the case, you just go to your dream school, right? So we don't expect Florida State or Virginia Tech to be a real player. I apologize for that. We had somebody come in. But, um, but here's the deal with that. Um, A&M has not really – crank things up yet. I'm not saying that State's going to get this kid by default by any stretch of imagination, but those like Texas A&M is like one of the only teams out there that really scares me. Does that make sense? So it's like there are other teams out there that have offered them, you know, like TCU and people like that. I, I just, at this point, I don't think 
they're the factor perhaps that they want to be. Um, I think it's important to kind of take that in context too because, you know, Chris Parson, uh, his mother's parents live here and they can share in the experience. And of course, they, uh, the grandparents went on the, the visit. It was an unofficial visit, but they went, they were part of that. Their first time to see Mississippi State football up close and personal uh, from a behind the scenes standpoint. Mom got a chance to see it for the first time. You know, dad's been here before. Uh, they've been around, but uh, the bottom line is, you know, this is not a courtesy deal when you get the whole family over there, right? Why would you go bother your grandparents just for that reason? You know, well, the Steve, maybe they're big Bulldog fans, and maybe they are. And if they are, then that's another benefit for Mississippi State. Uh, so, again, I still expect Chris Parson to pick Mississippi State. When does that happen? I can't really tell you. I shook with a good source yesterday, and I said, you know what? He hadn't set a firm time frame for a decision. You know, they're in football practice right now and everything else. He's still in contact with Mississippi State on a daily basis, still talks to Mike Leach multiple times each week. Uh, and, and, and I understand that he's been very open about everything. And I think this is going to be one of those situations, too, where the fact that Mike Leach is so selective at quarterbacks that it makes the kid feel really special. And when you look at the fact that Florida State, in his mind, betrayed him, and made him feel like just another guy after he had been loyal to him, I think that's the best approach. I think Leach being involved and making this kid feel like, you know what, hey, we handpicked you. We've only offered, you know, eight quarterbacks this year, and we think you're one of the best ten quarterbacks in the country. It's just why we offered you, whereas Florida State's out there saying, well, we liked you, Chris, and thanks for the commitment, but we're going to go chase Brock Glenn too. And I remember – uh, Lamont Parson, Chris's dad, was quoted as saying in some social media, uh, I think it was Twitter space or whatever, that that's the problem you have. It's like going to a bar, and instead of focusing on on one date, you're out there flirting with everybody, and you go home with nothing. Um, so it's ironic what's happened to Florida State. They commit to Chris Parson, and then say, we're not going to take any other quarterbacks. Well, then they go chase Brock Glenn, and then Brock Glenn goes to Florida State, goes to Ohio State, and Chris Parson is now decommitted. So now what do you do if you're Florida State? Well, that's not our concern. As long as they don't double back on Chris and find some way to mend the fence, I don't really care who they, who they recruit, right? Do you? And it's interesting, too, when I think about what's happening with Florida State, is I think they're button heads of Mississippi State too much on a recruiting trail. You can say, Steve, well, what do you mean by that? You know, Florida State should not be recruiting on the same level as Mississippi State, and that is in no way a slight or a self-loathing comment about our program. Florida State should be out there going head-to-head with Alabama and LSU and Georgia. We're seeing these guys way too often, and we're beating them. And if you don't think that's a negative sign of the Mike Norville administration, I don't know what to tell you. You know, we beat him head-to-head for Charles Cross, and he ends up being a first-rounder, right? Then Hunter Washington transfers over here. You know, it's like it's, there's all this Florida State stuff back and forth. You know, they took Jerry and Jones and Fabian Lovett, and, and you know, Fabian Lovett's had a good career over there. Jerry and Jones really hasn't done much. And I think people are like, hey, what's, we're Florida State. Well, you know, since that time, I, you know, State is kind of taken to the woodshed. I just think last year, Trevion Williams, they were so confident they were going to be able to keep him. And we were all hearing privately around here that, no, nah, it's, it's going to probably boil down to Mississippi State Ole Miss thing. And so I believe it's going to make it, if Parson commits, I believe it's three out of four years, 
that State has taken a commitment away from Florida State. My, how the mighty have fallen. And maybe the flip side of it is, is maybe Mississippi State is now recruiting at a higher level, even though the rankings may not always reflect that. Because by and large, our recruiting class is going to be comprised of Mississippi kids, which is often an under-recruited and undervalued state. Despite the fact that I believe we have the second highest number of uh, NFL players per capita in the country. So we'll let it continue to play out. Uh, and I think Parsons, the guy too, is going to bring some people with him. You know, maybe one or two receivers. And that's something to kind of watch too. But, uh, you know, Mississippi State's all in. You know, they, they haven't offered other quarterbacks. They haven't made the mistake that uh, Florida State did. You know, it's going to be a one-quarterback class for us, but uh, we've targeted one guy, and we've really kind of zeroed in on him. You know, for a while it was Brock Glenn, and then once things began to go south between State and Brock Glenn, then and only then did we offer Chris Parson. And I think that is something, too, that Mississippi State can use. and said, hey, you know, listen, we wanted you, but you were already committed to Florida State. We had zeroed in on him. And then once you became available, we, we shifted gears here. We shifted off Brock and got on to you. Now, not to say that State was going to beat Ohio State anyway, but uh, Brock Glenn was trending in a big way towards Mississippi State earlier in this process. Uh, but I like where State sits. And, I, and, again, I get questions every day. Like I'm, just a moment ago, you know, pop-up question on one of my notifications, Steve, when is Chris Parson going to commit? We're just not sure yet. We're just not sure, but we do expect him to be a bulldog, and it'll be a major disappointment. And at this point, I would I would kind of characterize it as a surprise if he doesn't pick Mississippi State. But it's one of those things we're continuing to work through, uh, we're excited about, but we'll feel a whole lot better once it's done. All right, if you hadn't done so, go to dogpilotbook.com. You can get all my sports books there. Matter of fact, if you have pre-ordered a personalized copy of any of the sports books, I'm signing those tomorrow. They're uh, making a trip up here to have me sign some books. And so if you've got a personalized order in place, I'm going to sign those tomorrow. And uh, they'll get those right out to the mail to you. So the sports books, all available at dogpiledbook.com. That's Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and Dogpile. Bloomsville, Leander, of course, you can still find uh, through your great bookstore, but also to uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, also available as an e-reader. Um, got notification the other day. We've got to renew a thing for the for the printer, so we'll do that in case there's any any uh, any issues there. But uh, I want to share that with you. And of course, we've uh, kind of ramped up our marketing on the Stark Villain shirts, and uh, a lot of new offers, man. Lot, uh, orders, excuse me, a lot of new orders uh, for Stark Villains gear. And so get with the program. Go to StarkVillains.com. And you, and here's a cool thing too. If you live in the Greater Starkville area. You can get a Stark Villain shirt like in your high school colors. You can get a black and gold one. You can get the uh, orange and blue one. So you can be a Stark Villain at your local school and then be in compliance with uh, whatever dress codes they may have. We did that on purpose, right? You, you know, the black and white ones what I wear most of the time when I wear them, but you can get them in maroon and white, get them in black and gold, get them you know, a multitude of colors. And, and multi, it's not just a T-shirt, too. I mean, there's some other things out there. You can get shirts you know, with the foil on it. I mean, there's just a lot of options. They've done a great job getting the Stark Villains gear together. So don't just kind of think, oh, well, I already know about that. Go to StarkVillains.com, check it out. You'll be glad you did. And I can tell you this, ladies, you got a lot of Boneyard listeners in your family. Your husband probably likes a Boneyard, and he's probably never thought to order a Stark Villain shirt, but he'd probably like to have one. So... If you want to order him one, I don't think he would mind. Again, at StarkVillains, 
Com. Looking forward to uh, Friday, man. We'll be at, uh, at Camp Friday, so we'll preview some things on Friday and another SEC preview, too. I am eager to get out there at practice and see the Bulldogs in action again. You know, we we wrapped up spring, felt pretty good about where things stood. And, of course, we had the crazy weather that forced a spring scrimmage indoors. But uh, I'm eager to see these guys in team drills, and especially some of the newcomers, to see how they have maybe advanced since we saw them uh, back in the spring. Guys like Trevion Williams, of course, will have an opportunity to see them uh, in action too. And uh, that's a young man we expect to play this year. So looking forward to Friday's show. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.